Coming up on Pseudos America, Stephen Gutowski joins us to tell us how our gun rights are at risk with the Supreme Court. BDSM Beto, of course, he declares his run for governor in 2022 because I guess he just loves humiliation. That's the only thing I could come up with. And the lawyers in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial are getting close to wrapping it all up so the jury can hopefully make a quick and reasonable decision. So let's do the Rittenhouse closing statements. Stu does America. Yet another fun day in court, everybody. Yes, the Kyle Rittenhouse story continues. The case continues in court. And it it was another shocking day. I mean, as they seem to all be these days. Let me give you uh, the beginning, maybe the the most shocking moment. You don't see this in court all the time. When the prosecutor just takes that gun and just points it at the jury and the audience with his finger on the (laughs) <laughs> the trigger, uh, because this guy is the guy that's going to tell you about gun rights and gun laws. Um, yes, he is uh, pointing his gun at the room full of people, I guess, to demonstrate something with his finger on the trigger. Not something you're supposed to do. Certainly not something Kyle Rittenhouse would do. <laughs> uh, and uh, kind of an amazing moment, although and people are being critical over this, obviously, and, and they're saying maybe. Someone should have stepped in and taken the gun away from him to explain, you know, so we don't have another, uh, you know, Alec Baldwin type of situation, which is an understandable, uh, understandable complaint here. However, I think this is pretty much their only tactic. I think threatening the jury with a gun is the only way to get the verdict they want. So I don't know. Maybe it wasn't that bad after all. Um, Let me take you through some of the stuff that happened today because it was a big day. Closing statements going on. There was something that happened before closing statements, which was interesting because we've talked about this part of the trial for a while now in that there's no way Kyle Rittenhouse is guilty of murder or any of these big charges. The one thing it looks like they might get him on is this one weapons charge because he was 17 years old, not 18 years old, and was in possession of a gun. All right, well, you know, it's a minor charge, a misdemeanor charge, but still, it did seem like they were going to be able to get him on something. That all changed this morning. Watch. Is the firearm here now? Yes. We can either measure it or you can stipulate that it is. it does not meet what I've stated are the requirements. Um, and if it uh, is out of compliance, if it if it is, if the barrel length is less than 16 in- inches, or an overall length less than 26 inches, then I'll deny the motion. If it does not meet those specifications, then this most uh, defense motion will be granted. <coughs> we are not disputing that the barrel that the barrel length is appropriate isn't legal it is not a short barreled shotgun or a short barreled rifle yes either by barrel or by overall length correct all right and then count to six is dismissed oh no oh no they dismissed the one thing it looked like they were going to get him on you know it's a back and forth of course of a of a statute in Wisconsin. Uh, You probably are not all that familiar with it, Uh, but basically it says uh, that if the gun barrel is long, if it's a long-barreled weapon, uh, then Kyle Rittenhouse was legally able to be carrying it. So they had to ask them, do you want us to measure it or you just want to admit you're wrong here? 
And they're like, oh, we'll just admit we're wrong and call it a day. So that case is gone. That, that, that charge is gone now. So there's six charges against Rittenhouse. Now it's down to five. Now, the jury just hears that instruction. Hey, just so you guys know, no longer, don't worry about that gun thing anymore. This is a tough one because, you know, there is some, uh, some theory here that you go after the big charges with Rittenhouse and then... If some of the people on the jury say, well, we don't think he he's guilty of murder, but he did do something wrong here. I'm not exactly sure what it is. Let's give him that misdemeanor one. Now that misdemeanor one's not even on the table. They did give him some options, though, uh, to be able to have lower uh, charges uh, than the, uh, you know, the, the sort of marquee murder charges uh, that are on the table. Uh, but it really was a day to focus on the prosecution's closing statement and what it was and what it just wasn't. Uh, it's, it's, it's an embarrassing case. They don't have anything. At some level, you might sit back and say, well, I'm a, I can actually sympathize with these guys because they just don't have anything. They're trying to make the best of a bad situation. They don't have any of the facts on their side. On the other hand, somebody's life is at stake here. So, uh, you know, I, I, it's hard to have any sympathy at all. Uh, here's, um, uh, this is basically the way they went. First of all, they had to make the, uh, the, the case to the American people that Kyle Rittenhouse wasn't good. There's a lot of evidence that has been presented showing that Kyle was down there cleaning off graffiti. He was a medic. He was on record over and over again saying uh, things that would be helpful to the situation. If he was there to just terrorize the community, why would he do that in advance, multiple days in advance in some cases? So they were left to try to mock the positive things he did for the community. Watch. So how do we evaluate the defendant's performance as a medic that night? Well, on one hand, uh, he wrapped up an ankle and I think maybe helped somebody who got a cut on their hand. Yay. On the other hand, he killed two people, blew off Gage Grossberg's arm, and put two more lives in jeopardy. So, you know, when we balance your role as a medic that night, I don't give you any credit. Ah, uh, you gotta love the uh, yay in the middle of your closing statement. Um, Look, he's admitting, though, that Kyle Rittenhouse was helping bandage people, was helping help people as a medic that night. This is their case. They just have to mock the things that he did that disagree with their own case and say they're not significant. Okay. now another part of this is um, and this kind of came out a little bit later, um, but. In the closing statement, they talked about how he had body armor. And it's interesting when you look at this part of it, because he was not, you think, okay, well, he's a body armor. Maybe he is an active shooter. He's going there to kill a bunch of people. That must be why, why, why else would he have body armor? Well, first of all, you've seen the freaking footage of these incidents. There's a lot of uh, mayhem going on. It makes a lot of sense to protect yourself. However, uh, he had not purchased the body armor, to, at least to his telling. Um, he had the body armor there and at one point gave it away to someone else who thought they were in danger. Now, if you were an active shooter and you're going around to kill everybody on the scene, why on earth would you give away your body armor? It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, but this was what uh, the prosecution tried to make you believe. We also had the other side of this. You had to make the case that the person, the first person that uh, Kyle Rittenhouse killed was not a bad guy, Rosenbaum. He was a good guy. He, what the things he was were doing weren't all that bad. Now we do know, of course, that he was in you know jail for child molestation. Uh, so it's hard when your case is based on making a guy who's a child molester seem not all that bad. You're working uphill. 
you know, it's kind of an uphill battle at that point. But they did try to make it out. This Rosenbaum guy, he wasn't all that bad. Watch. So what does he do that night? Oh, let me tell you all the awful things Joseph Rosenbaum did. Mm. He tipped over a porta potty that had no one in it. He swung a chain. He lit a metal garbage dumpster on fire. Oh, and there's this empty wooden flatbed trailer that they pulled out in the middle of the road and they tipped it over to stop some bearcats and they lit it on fire. Oh, and he said some bad words. He said the N-word. Mm, yeah, <laughs> mocking the seriousness of blurting out the N-word. That's a winning strategy in 2021. Good job, guys. Uh, yeah, he lit multiple things on fire. He knocked things over. He destroyed property. And the one minor little thing he left out of his uh, resume for the evening was he threatened multiple people's lives, which I don't know is somewhat germane in a self-defense trial about a murder. And he said the N-word, tsk, tsk, tsk. Really? That's the... Uh, who... What, did, were they out of people at the lawyer store? What what happened with this guy? They were just the, the only the bargain bin was left. Did we have do we have a supply chain disruption for lawyers? Where did this guy come from? He's terrible. Um, OK, so he also had to go down the road of saying the rioters were actually heroes in the case. The rioters, not the bad guys. The rioters were the heroes uh, of the night. This bizarre nonsense continued. Watch. When they're told that person running up the street just shot someone, we don't have time in the moment to go back and take a look at the body and replay the video and make a decision before going after the person with the gun. You know, we've had several police officers testify that in an active shooter situation, their first instinct, their first training is to go in and stop the threat. They don't sit there and wonder, well, maybe it was self-defense. I don't know. I'm going to, you know, let, wait and see. And every day we read about heroes that stop active shooters. That's what was going on here. Oh. And that crowd was right. And that crowd was full of heroes. Full of heroes. And that crowd did something that, honestly, I'm not sure I would have had the courage to do. <laughs> That's probably a good idea. Because you wouldn't have been shot if you weren't trying to do those things. Uh, the crowd was full of heroes as they're lighting the city on fire. And as they're hitting a kid who running away, by the way, not shooting people, running away, hitting him in the back of the head with bricks or rocks or something, uh, jump kicking him in the head. None of that's supposed to bother you at all. This is just what police would do. I mean, this is just absurd. They're like, I, you know, they've just run out of people to talk. And they just threw this guy. They, they picked this guy off the street on the corner. He was going to do some day laboring at Home Depot. They brought him in. They said, hey, can you be the lawyer for this case? Because we've got nobody else. And that seems to be what happened here. And this is an embarrassment. What are you talking about? These people are heroes. If you have an active shooter situation and that active shooter is running away, you know, a quarter of a mile down the street, you don't chase him while he's not shooting people so that more people can get shot. He's, he's running toward the police. What are you going to do? I mean, no one who sees this video could possibly believe this argument. But this is what they have. Again, they don't have anything to go on, so they just have to make crap up. And it's just embarrassing. Um, here is the uh, closing statement. And this is, this is the end of the closing statement. He kind of wraps it up with this. This is the, the last, a very important message where you have to wrap up your argument 
to the jury and say, hey, this is what I want you to think about when you go back in that in that uh, jury room and you're deciding the fate of Kyle Rittenhouse for the rest of his life. It's not a good case, but he tried to make a case out of this Watch. We all know this case comes down to self-defense, mm -hmm. but there's a high bar for using deadly force in a self-defense situation. Okay. The law says that the defendant may intentionally use force, which is intended or likely to cause death or great bodily harm only if mm -hmm. the defendant reasonably believed that the force was necessary to prevent imminent death or great bodily harm to himself. Hmm. So did Joseph Rosenbaum pose an imminent threat of death or great bodily harm to the defendant? No way. Oh, no. Did Anthony Huber pose an imminent threat of death or great bodily harm to the defendant? Absolutely not. Really? Did Jump Kick Man or Gage Grosskreutz? No. No, what's the... None of these people posed an imminent threat to the defendant's life or to cause great bodily harm. <laughs> to say this is a pathetic argument would be completely understating the situation here. Anyone can argue of whether you, you think your life might end or not, but great bodily harm is one, of the, is one of the standards here. One of the people hit him in the head with a skateboard while he was on the ground. Another one, they literally call him jump kick man. What was he doing when he was jump kicking other than trying to, cre uh, to create great bodily harm? He literally jumped in the air and had his boot land on Kyle Rose, uh, Rittenhouse's head. The other guy, Rosenbaum, did he present an imminent threat of death? I don't know. He did say he was going to kill them. So I, what? Do you have to wait until they actually kill you to defend yourself? Is that it? A remark. You want the jury to go back and say, hey, we just watched those people all hit him in the back of the head, hit him with a skateboard, kick him in the head, uh, grab his gun, uh, say they were going to kill him, charge after them over and over and over again. But what I want you to do is go back there and think about, do you think any of those could have been bad incidents in any way? I'm pretty sure people are going to go back in that jury room and say, wait a minute. If the threat here, if the standard is, does he feel that he's about to be harmed? He was harmed. We saw it on video over and over again. And great bodily harm, you're on your back on the ground with a mob of people around you. We've seen how this turns out. We saw all the videos of the previous riots. This, of course, also doesn't really take into account the Facebook post posted by the best friend of Gage Grosskreitz, who's the last guy uh, who was shot by Rittenhouse, the guy who he's still alive. He shot him in the arm. And after this happens, Grosskreutz goes to the hospital. His best friend finds out where he, uh, where he is. And obviously, like most best friends would, he goes and visited, visits him at the hospital. When he gets out of the hospital, he goes to his Facebook page and he says, hey, Gage is doing OK. He's still alive. The, he said to me the only thing he regrets is that he didn't kill him, meaning Rittenhouse. Now, you're going to be stunned to hear that he pulled that post down, but a little too late. They brought him on the stand to ask him about it during the trial. And he said, oh, I just lied. You lied. You made up a quote from your dying, potentially dying friend in the hospital that he wanted to go kill the guy. That's literally their defense on this. 
But we know from that post, unless you believe the nonsensical lie that he's he's manufacturing quotes from his best friend in crisis, uh, we know that, of course, he wanted to kill the guy. And you know what? It was pretty obvious he had a gun pointed at him multiple times. Let me end it with this, though, because this is really what the whole case is about. This is what they want you to believe. This is what they want everybody to believe. This is why we're talking about Second Amendment issues tonight, because it's bigger than just this one kid in this one crisis in this one situation in Kenosha. It's about all of our rights. And this is this is the case that they made in the closing statements that leads you to understand the real plan here. The real I the overarching idea of the left, of the media, of people who look at guns as the enemy, as opposed to something to help you defend yourself. The, 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 the issue here is they don't want you to have the right for self-defense. They don't want it to exist. Listen to this. You can't claim self-defense against an unarmed man like this. You lose the right to self-defense when you're the one who brought the gun, when you're the one creating the dam- danger. You lose your right to self-defense when you are the one bringing the gun. If that is, I mean, that is crystallizing the left's arguments on guns from the beginning. If you have a gun, you're automatically the bad guy. Well, that is not how our rights work. That is not how it was put together. That's not how this country was formed. And all of those rights are at risk right now. We're going to get into how much they are at risk in just a second. Where are you going to go? That's what uh, the government tells us all the time when they raise your taxes and they spend all your money and they print and print and print and print and print cash. Well, let me tell you about a place you should check out, Panama. Now, Panama is a place where a lot of American retirees and veterans are going uh, going there because you can live in luxury for 24 grand a year. Uh, you can pay 0% income tax. Your health care can be as little as $2,600 a year. You've probably already heard of Panama as a place to go um, where you can uh, help shelter your wealth, protect your wealth against all of the craziness going on here. But you can get like a beachfront condo in Panama for like $120,000 a year. Um, this is something, excuse me, $120,000 for the condo, not $120,000 a year. That might be a little bit more expensive. Um, if that's you and you're thinking to yourself, hey, uh, that package sounds pretty awesome. Um, you could check it out. Uh, there, the information coming um, from uh, International Living. It's the Americans Guides, Americans Guide to Living and Retiring in Panama. Now, if you're talking about maybe a vacation place, maybe you're talking about going down there for long periods of time. Maybe if you live somewhere like where it's really cold and you just want to get away for a good chunk of the year, you got to check this out. It's 100% free. Just go over to buypanamanow.com slash stew. You can get your copy today. It's buypanamanow.com slash stew. Sign up now. Uh, claim your uh, free series, Investing in Panama's Pacific Riviera, today. Buypanamanow.com slash stew. Happy to welcome Stephen Gutowski back to the program. He's a journalist and founder of TheReload.com. This is a place you can go to get uh, coverage on the Second Amendment and firearms from people who actually know what they're talking about. It's a crazy concept. Stephen, thanks for coming on the program. 
Hey, thanks for having me back. I always enjoy doing it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. Um, can we start? Do, do you have a couple seconds on on the Rittenhouse case? We've talked a lot about it this week, and you know, it's just obviously there's a lot going around it. Whether he, you know, you want a 17 year old there with a firearm and all these things, but as a as a self defense case, is there any merit of 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 these bigger charges going against Rittenhouse? Probably not. I mean, I think it's been likely since the beginning, given the video evidence that we've all seen that he was going to have a very strong self-defense case. And, you know, you've seen a, a lot of developments in the, the trial so far. And I think one of the biggest ones was just the uh, the one of the people who was shot admitting that he pointed a gun at Rittenhouse before he was shot, which, again, is just something that we already knew from what was on video. So, uh, you know, uh, when you fear for your life, you have a... Uh, uh, the ability to defend yourself with lethal force. And, and I think his defense team has made a good case for the fact that he feared for his life in all three of those shootings. Uh, obviously a horrible situation. And like you said, you could question whether or not you'd want your 17-year-old kid involved in the middle of all that to begin with. But when it comes to the actual case at hand as to whether he has a self-defense claim, uh, he, I think he does. Mm. Um, you know, we, we, the, in the closing statement today, they made this 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 I they try to form this concept that I've never heard before, which is you can't claim self-defense if you're the one that brings the gun. And like this is bigger than the Rittenhouse thing. Right. Like this is something where the, the, the left and the media seem to want to make it out to be the case that anyone who takes prep uh, to takes uh, to the idea of preparation and trying to defend themselves against any potential threat automatically becomes the aggressor because uh, a firearm is there. And that is not how this whole thing is set up in our country. You, you have a God given right to be able to protect yourself and they can't they can't massage that out. When, just because they don't want people to have guns. Certainly. And I mean, reasonableness is at stake here. Whether or not you have a reasonable fear for your life is what the standard is. So obviously, you being armed versus someone who is not armed comes into play when you talk about whether or not your your self-defense, your actions were reasonable, whether you had a reasonable fear for your life. But obviously, someone who is unarmed can still pose a th deadly threat towards somebody who is armed. Uh, if you and of course, if you initiate an encounter where you're the aggressor and then you try to claim self-defense after the fact, if it goes bad for you, that's a problem. But again, you watch the videos in this case, that's that's not what happened, right? He was not the one who aggressively approached any of these uh, people that were shot, uh, any of the people that he shot. And it's just the case that they were aggressors towards him and put him in a position where he had a probably a reasonable fear for his life, which is what the jury is deciding right now based on the entirety of the case. But I mean, I think that's just kind of the bottom line. You, you can't put someone in fear for their life and then argue that they didn't have a right to defend themselves. <laughs> it is. A, it's a very strange, strange case. And it's, you know, look, the Rittenhouse case has had a lot of uh, getting all the press here. But and that's huge for them. Right. It's Kyle Rittenhouse, his family, the, the, the city of Kenosha, all those things. It's a very big, Im impactful case. But a much bigger case, I think, for for people um, across the country is the case that's going that has been in front of the Supreme Court. We heard oral arguments about this case. It has to do with a New York uh, restriction. Can you kind of walk people through what this case is about? 
Yeah, so New York has a restrictive gun carry permit process, which is commonly referred to as May issue, which essentially means you can go through the background check, the training requirements, and then at the end of the day, a government official who issues the permit can still deny you if they don't think that you have a good reason to have that permit. Whereas in most states, uh, the way it is, there's no option for the government official to just do what they believe is right in the situation. If you pass that background check, you get that training, most states will issue you a permit. They have to issue you a permit. It's called shall issue. So the court now is deciding whether or not that more restrictive standard is a violation of the Second Amendment, whether or not it actually goes against someone's uh, right to keep and bear arms. And there's, I think, what, seven or eight states that do it this way, where really, like, they make you argue to them why you should have a need. Like, it's not even about whether you're a good person or if you've acted within the bounds of the law. You basically have to prove to them that there's some special reason you should be able to carry a gun. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, generally, they, they make you articulate some need beyond what the general population has for normal self-defense. So if you've been the recipient of documented death threats or you have a stalker, something like that. Uh, although in, in a lot of cases with these May issue laws, as you might uh, imagine, they tend to lead towards corruption as well. So you've seen a number of cases, in, especially in California recently, where people will bribe the people that issue the permits so that they can get them and uh, while others don't. Because oftentimes in these states, they just don't issue a lot of permits. Uh, I mean, Hawaii uh, is one of the states that has this this law, and they don't issue any permits at all, uh, even though they have a law and a process to do it. They just, they just don't issue. Is this just a way for them to get around the Second Amendment? It's certainly what it sounds like, where like some random government official can say, "Yeah, we judge your your need for this gun, your need for a right. Uh, we don't we don't judge it positively, so you know, go away." This just seems like a, a way to go around our rights. Obviously, that's what the plaintiffs are arguing in the case. Uh, and you've seen a lot of the justices have uh, said things that make them see, appear as though they're they're leaning towards that direction of, of overturning this law. The defense, you know, New York and and uh, the federal government uh, argue that it's you know these are safety issues uh, that, especially in denser populations, you don't want as many people to have guns on them when they're out in public. This is the the defense argument. They, you know, they point back to some historical laws uh, through the, the 19th century where you had similar restrictions. But uh, ultimately, yeah, that, that's what the case comes down to, whether or not these this sort of discretion that's being granted to government officials over whether or not people can exercise their right to bear arms, in this case, obviously, is a, a breach of the Bill of Rights, uh, the Second Amendment in particular. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that like the, 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 the Second Amendment case here is about just the, 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 the way the, the law leans, right? It leans in a way to say, no, you don't have this right. 
where like they, you know, there's a bunch of back and forth about how you're able to restrict guns in like let's say a public event or uh, you know um, uh, public transportation. Those rights can exist in, for the state to restrict those weapons in those places. But like the tenor of the right has to be toward the ability to execute it. It's certainly like that with all of our other rights. Why is the Second Amendment always treated differently? Yeah, and I mean, that's been a common complaint from a number of justices. And even during oral arguments in this case, you heard uh, Chief Justice Roberts himself, who a lot of people in the gun rights community have been sort of worried about where he might come down on cases like this. He came out and was questioning why it is that a core right like the Second Amendment, part of the Bill of Rights, would be subject to permitting at all. Now, he, he eventually said maybe there's some area for you know requiring a background check or training, but it seemed odd to him that it, we would require that kind of discretionary uh, right, you know, process where government officials can decide whether or not you get to actually exercise this right. Uh, he, he thought that that wouldn't be welcome on any other uh, right in, uh, contained inside the Bill of Rights. So, you know, it's that that is really the, the key question here. And it does seem like most of the justices are lined up against New York's uh, law, and they're likely to strike it down. Yeah, it, does, it definitely seems like that was the tone of the, you, you never know with the oral arguments, but that does seem to be the way they were going. Um, uh, I, I, it really would be amazing if we, if we had a law that said you had to go petition the government for your right to, for speech, nobody would accept this. I mean, it would be absolutely crazy, yet here we are with the Second Amendment. Um, I want to hit one more thing here, if you have time here, Stephen, for one more, um, one more angle on, on, on this as a conversation generally. We saw in Virginia um, an election that I think surprised a lot of people where Terry McAuliffe uh, goes down for, uh, in the governor race. Um, it was, you know, it's a blue state at this point, Virginia, and it, it was one of those things that, we had a lot of factors that people talked about, whether it was education, whether it was just the general performance of of of, uh, you know, the White House and the popularity of Joe Biden. And a lot of things played into this. But gun control as well is part of this story. Can you talk about that? Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, guns really came on as an issue towards the end of the, the race, too. You had a uh, video that actually we uncovered at the reload of Terry McAuliffe talking about gun shows and how they're the worst thing we have going. And describing how he was hoping to create a sort of hidden liability for gun owners when he he passed a, a package back in 2016. Uh, and then you also had Dominion Energy, our, our top power company here in Virginia, where I, where I live, uh, actually meddle in the race in a sort of under, underhanded way by funding a, a, sh- a shadow pack that's run, that was run by a group of liberal uh, consultants that tried to uh, play up the fact that Glenn Youngkin, the Republican candidate, hadn't been endorsed by the NRA or VCDL, and they tried to do this in areas that were heavily Republican in a sort of attempt mm. to depress the vote there. And that that became exposed by actually Axios, uh, Lachlan Marque, uh, reporter over there, and, and that really backfired. It led to a lot of uh, energy among gun owners who had just finished actually having a huge grassroots campaign last year in 2020. I mean, it seems like forever ago because it was right before the pandemic, but there was a massive protest in Richmond in 2020 against the Democrats' uh, gun control package that they passed into law. And so you saw probably some of that leftover enthusiasm among gun owners 
come in in this election, especially right at the end when it really mattered. Yeah, I mean, it really is a fascinating result, and I think it surprised a ton of people. But, you know, thanks to your work at The Reload, people actually being aware of, of, of what happened and, and what, what, what's going on behind the scenes of these races is, is somewhat more important than what the candidates actually say half the time. Uh, Stephen Gutowski, founder of TheReload.com. Be sure to add it to your bookmark, subscribe to it. It's really important. We need to have good journalism, especially on the Second Amendment, as you see over and over again. Generally speaking, people who cover the Second Amendment don't know anything about it. So we need to make sure that we have institutions that are doing this work and covering the real stuff going on. Uh, Steve, thanks so much for coming on the program. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, there's so many people moving across the country right now. You've seen this happen. It started kind of with the pandemic. You know, there's been a, a movement for a long time of people moving from maybe high tax states, high regulation states to lower tax states, lower regulation states. And then it really accelerated during the pandemic when we kind of saw, you know, a lot of the stuff that's going on in these blue states, you know, might not want to be a part of. You might be moving across the country for work for whatever reason, and you need to find a real estate agent that you can trust because this is a crazy market and you need to have someone who has some level of mastery over it. Realestateagentsitrust.com are the place to go to, to find someone who knows what they're talking about, right? Knows the market, knows the ins and outs, and can help you get the most out of your transaction. It's going to be one of the most important things you ever do financially. So make sure you, you, you uh, are, have someone you can trust on your side. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Get more information now at realestateagentsitrust.com. Now, look, a lot of people hear the word polls say or those words and, and get a little bit upset because they say, well, polls have been wrong here and polls have been wrong there. But we should point out that sometimes polls do they do a good job at giving us the general sense of where things are. If you're trying to get them to micromanage one point in a 50 to 49 election, they're not very good at that. What they are good at is giving you a general sense as to where things are. And right now, um, we have a couple of interesting polls here that I think give you the tone of where we are right now. And it's not good for Democrats. Uh, a new poll came out from uh, Selzer and Company, and this is um, kind of generally seen as the maybe the top pollster in the country. OK, uh, they do the sort of preeminent uh, Iowa poll. Uh, the, the mainstream media loves them. They're highly, highly credible in, in every way. Uh, and they're, you know, A plus rated, all of that. So they had a new poll about Iowa talking about a hypothetical 2024 matchup. And they have Donald Trump at 51 percent and um, Joe Biden at 40 percent. So an 11 point lead. Uh, Trump's uh, lead is driven by independents who give Donald Trump uh, the vote 45 to 37 percent in the poll. OK, well, it's a 2024. It's way, way out there. Who knows what's going to happen between now and then? You can blow that off as just a, an interesting snapshot, a one day story. Not the case uh, when it comes to 2022. A U.S. Uh, uh, midterm terror for Democrats as poll gives Republicans the biggest lead for uh, in over 40 years. Over 50 percent of people polled said they would vote Republican. Only 41 percent said that they would vote Democrat. Now, when you do this, it's an ABC News Washington Post poll. Uh, there's, uh, you know, they, they do these things a lot where they, they give you the generic um, party vote 
Is, would you vote generally for a Republican? Would you vote generally for a Democrat? And that's seen as something that kind of gives you, there's just the tone of where the, the playing field is for, for a particular election. It's not always perfectly predictive, but it's, again, something interesting that gives you a hint into where things are going. Well, normally speaking, in almost all situations, Democrats lead. There's usually more Democrats uh, maybe they're more partisan. Maybe Republicans are a little bit more independent, tend to identify that way. Whatever it is, you sit, tend to see usually the generic ballot favors Democrats. Uh, not, not the case right now. In fact, major, major leagues, the biggest in 40 years for Republicans heading into an election year. Virginia, um, uh, New Jersey even, uh, where even though uh, the Democrat held on in New Jersey for the statewide race, both of those in particular freaked Democrats out. If they're on the verge of losing New Jersey, they are going to have no power and no ability to do anything uh, it, while Joe Biden is in office until 2024 comes along and things have a chance to reset. And so they are absolutely panicking. I think it's a big reason why they're trying to push a lot of things through uh, as fast as possible, because they see, you know, we get into an election year, it's going to be tough to pass things. We can't we have a good chance of losing in 2022. I think they've already sort of thrown in the towel uh, mentally and they realize they're toast in 2022. There's no way they're going to hold uh, the House and probably not going to hold the Senate either. So we'll see what happens there. Now, at the same time, and I think this, there's a reason these these stories tie together. At the same time, you have all of that going on. Bad news for Democrats. They're in real panic. They've basically thrown in the towel for 2022. Beto O'Rourke announces he's running for governor here in Texas. And this is a complicated race for many reasons. You know, there's a kind of a big battle going on on the Republican side. There's been a lot of criticism of the Republican governor, Greg Abbott, here in Texas uh, for some of his COVID stuff and a few of the other things um, in his administration. As, of course, you may know, our friend Chad Prather is running uh, in the primary against him. Alan West, another friend of ours, is running in that primary. Uh, uh, Huffines is another guy who's running uh, in the primary. Don't know him uh, personally, but he's another uh, Republican, well-funded candidate that's in that race. So it's a kind of a big, uh, big fight going on on the right. So you might think to yourself, well, maybe that means Greg Abbott's vulnerable. I don't know that that's what it means, honestly. Um, it, it, whoever comes out of that primary is in a really good position to be the governor. And it's, all, it's not quite to this level, but it's almost like the New York mayoral race where you had that really big primary and then an election that was sort of a snooze fest. You knew the Democrat was going to win. Uh, Eric Adams wound up coming out of that primary and winning. Kind of the same things going on here. You have an interesting race out of a bunch of sort of Republicans going after uh, the Republican nomination. But Beto, as a, as a candidate, I mean, even in really good times when he faced Ted Cruz, uh, who at that point was not particularly popular. He had just come out of a highly critical point where he was against uh, Donald Trump. And so really, uh, this race to me is, is one of those things where they're saying, hey, who can we throw in this race? You know, Beto, at least he can raise some money, maybe. His career's over. He's obviously set himself on fire in Texas after saying, you know, we're going to go grab all your AR-15s. Let's just make him the sacrificial lamb here and just throw him out there. Uh, I, I don't think they have any belief that they're going to win this race, but he's going to be running. And we should also say goodbye to Senator Patrick Leahy. He is retiring. He served Vermont since before I was born. 1975 is when he started. He's gone through eight terms as a senator and he is finally retiring he is now in his 80s uh definitely the sign of a healthy 
government. And that's definitely a good way to run a country. Back in a second. I have a fatness alert for you, and I want you to, to internalize this. You have just a little bit over a week until you're going to be stuffing your face uh, on Thanksgiving. We understand we're going to have a day maybe on Thanksgiving we're going to eat a lot. I would recommend maybe a built bar for breakfast, maybe uh, something that's going to keep you satisfied so you maybe you don't eat as much. But we probably know Thanksgiving is going to be a little bit of a catastrophe. That's OK. You have about, uh, what, 10 days here before that happens where you can eat healthy. Get ahead of the game. Pre-burn, right? Go in hungry on Thanksgiving. Try it for once. I've, it's, it's, it's always been a, a, one of those things. You go in, you stuff your face, and then you go to Thanksgiving, and you can't even eat anything because you're so full. And then you force it down, and it's ugly. Built Bars will help you get past this. Plus, when you get past Thanksgiving, have a Built Bar as a dessert instead of another piece of pie. They're only 130, uh, grams of, uh, excuse, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, packed with protein. They'll fill you up. They're delicious. They're made with real chocolate, great flavors. Built Bars are great anytime that you're hungry, and they can help fill you up. Built.com is the place to go to get them. Built.com. If you use the promo code STU15, you'll save 15% off your first order. It's STU15 for 15% off at Built.com. I have terrible, terrible news for you. Facebook, they're trying to keep us apart. Don't let them do it. Uh, I hope you love the show, and if you do, if you love, you know, lots of graphs and charts and lovably overweight radio hosts, uh, you want to check the show out and check out all the material that we give out on you know, Facebook and everything else. But the evil algorithm robots will not give in so easily. Luckily, we can beat them. If you're on your uh, laptop, make sure you're following the page on Facebook. Stuber Gear, of course, is my name. And then tap uh, the follow button again. You can switch your settings from default to favorites. If you're on your phone or your tablet, be sure you're following me. And then tap the follow button again, and you will see the settings. Uh, the robots... They don't want you to see these settings, okay? You can go there, you change your newsfeed settings from default to favorites, you'll get some content from us. That's why it's important. They're hiding conservative content from you on Facebook, and this is the only way you're going to ensure that you're going to see it. We uh, do appreciate you doing so. I know it takes a couple seconds, but, you know, they want to make it difficult. So uh, if you take those steps, you'll actually be able to see some of the show, which is great. Um, by the way, you can comment on the show on YouTube whenever we're airing it. All the shows are up there, youtube.com slash America. Patrick writes in, all public schools should only have impact from parents, local businesses, local groups like historical societies, museums, um, and historical sites. Trusting states or the federal government with your school is like trusting Democrats with your money, which, by the way, not a good idea. That's just a general tip. Also, you can review the show on a podcast. Make sure you do so. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. Love this show. Good balance of keeping things lighthearted while also emphasizing truth. We do really appreciate when you do this because, again, the evil algorithm robots, we've got to play with them all the time. So uh, make sure you give us a review and subscribe to the podcast. And remember, when you do so, you not only help our show, but you also hurt others. And that's the most important thing. You know, Christmas is right around the corner. So is Thanksgiving. So then, of course, then it goes into New Year's and then the Super Bowl. And look, you're going to be eating nonstop for the next six months. Uh, but that's OK. You can deal with that yourself. Um, I will say, uh, if you would like to get your Christmas presents early for all of your conservative friends, uh, check out StuDoesMerch.com. We have these Christmas cards up. Um, we need to start writing some of these out. You're doing life wrong. Now, you might think, why would I want to send that to someone for Christmas? Well, I'm, you send it to someone you don't like. 
hey, you're doing life, life, life wrong. Let me tell you how you're screwing it up for the holidays. And you get this one, uh, the person of the year, award-winning president, Joe Biden, who won the person of the year for the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. That's available. We also have these mugs, wokeness is weakness. We've got the Colin Kaepernick gear. We've got uh, all sorts of great stuff. Not to mention, Santifa Claus is back in stock for the holidays. He's a, kind of a combination between Santa Claus and Antifa. Santifa Claus, and this one where... And it's sort of a woke Santa Claus. If you go to ChristmasReeducationTraining.com, you can go directly to it. CRT, Christmas Reeducation Training. Woke Santa is there for you to keep, to keep you in line over the holidays and make sure you're woke. So get woke at ChristmasReeducationTraining.com. We'll see you tomorrow.